I just walked past this guy, Diggy, in a crosswalk. He's a guy I used to drink with. I, I've never made plans with him or anything. But he was this sort of antagonist who hung out at this bar all the time, about my age. And back then, he had a really long ponytail, and he'd wear a trench coat everywhere. And one of my best friends went to high school with him. Uh, it was an alternative high school. Very alternative. And uh, I always liked him, though. Very reactionary at the time, because he hung out at this bar that was just, like, basically like a the liberal stronghold within a liberal stronghold. It was like the keep of the castle in many ways. Like, if Olympia, Washington is a liberal stronghold, this bar is like the keep of the castle. But he hung out there every night, just about. And he would babysit his nephews, who he wasn't even biologically related to. Like, his brother was a meth head who got involved with a woman who already had twin boys. And then, I don't know what happened to her, but she was even more fucked up than his brother, which is saying something. And his father died. His dad had died a long time ago. And at the time his dad died, I'm telling this guy's whole life story here, but I got to know him. And when his dad died, he said to, to Diggy, he was like, you know, I just want you to have one beer with me before I die. And at that time, Diggy didn't drink, so he turned it down. He turned down his dad on his deathbed, drinking a beer. And then now he's like a full-blown alcoholic, so it's just kind of like an irony there. But then, like, his family, because he lived in my neighborhood. He lived in my immediate neighborhood that I lived in for seven years. So I would see him walking all the time, and he had never had a single job. He had never once had an actual job. And he was very open about it. Like, he would say at the bar, like, I'm a loser. But in the, the most non-self-deprecating way. Like, he would say, I'm a loser the same way you would, like, tell somebody your profession. It was just very matter-of-fact. And then girl, like, women, women and girls at the bar would always be like, oh, you're not a loser? Like, they would always try to pump up his self-esteem, be like, no, 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 no. He's like, I'm not asking for you guys to... To convince me like I'm not asking I'm not saying that for attention so that you'll you know try to boost my ego he's like I'm, I'm just telling you matter-of-factly like I'm a loser and one of the funniest things he said I talked to him about this a couple times because like he was super reactionary and right-wing even way back then even like over a decade ago very like internet guy deadpan and he'd get in fights with women at the bar about abortion. About abortion. Because he would have the, he wasn't afraid to, to mention these views that were like the total antithesis. He'd say things that were like the total antithesis of what everybody believed, but he was consistent. He just went all in. He didn't give a fuck. Like he had nothing to worry about. He was already a loser, so he didn't care what he said. People would get really upset at him when he would say that. But the thing is, people liked him. I don't know if they knew the depth of what he believed. Because I had some conversations with him one-on-one -on -one where, like, he was into some out-there stuff. Even by my standards, he had some pretty out-there thoughts on some things. But everybody kind of liked him. Like, they knew he kind of went for these reactionary viewpoints. 
he wasn't anybody's best friend, but they, he, he was more than welcome to sit at a table with everybody and drink and smoke. But yeah, he would babysit his nephews who like weren't even biologically related. And his family gave him just kind of like a stipend. A stipend, however you say that? Stipend? A stipend? Maybe I shouldn't use words that I can't say properly. At least I know the meaning. I'd rather mispronounce a word and know the meaning of it than pronounce a word right and use it in a totally wrong way. Although I know I do that too. But yeah, they would give him money, just like spending money to babysit his nephews during the day. And he was really good. Like, it was amazing. Like, for as much of like a kind of a piece of shit, self-professed loser as he was, he was really fucking good to his nephews. Super responsible. It was amazing. Like, he was kind of like their surrogate dad. But his mom was a severe hoarder. And they... It was like they lived in a, an apartment or something. Like, what I learned was they had, like, three residences all within a short distance of each other. And, like, two of these had been totally filled with stuff. I think that's what it was. Like, they had a house and they, they completely filled it with stuff because they were hoarders. And then I want to say that, like, the brother was then living in another house they had. And it was just surrounded by mangy... I don't know if they were his cats or just like wild cats, but they were, they were like, seriously, like you'd walk by that house and there were like six mangy cats hanging around. They were all really sweet, but they weren't well taken care of. And then like he and his mom, like Diggy and his mom lived in an apartment nearby. So it's just this weird arrangement. Like they had like these separate residences for various reasons. I'm guessing they had money. They seemed to have money. Cause like he didn't work and he always drank and they, I mean, if you have three residences, you must, but... I don't know, over the, the last few years, like, since I quit drinking, I still see him walking. Like, I just passed him in a crosswalk. And he'd always be in his own world. Like, he really liked me as a thing. Like, he didn't like many people, but he liked me. I can actually say that. And, like, when he would see me, like, he wouldn't even, he wouldn't, like, notice me. He's so deep in a fog. He wouldn't notice me, and then when I'd, like, stop him and go, hey, he'd be like, oh, hey, man. Like one time I saw him walking down the street kind of near where I lived and I did that. I got his attention and he like took his headphones off and like pulled a beer out of his pocket. And his fetish was, we talked about that, like his fetish was like 90s riot girl feminist. Even though he hated feminism, hated progressivism, his fetish was just, he openly admitted like his fetish was like, feminists from the early 90s in Olympia but the funniest thing he ever said was he, he, he used to say like I had sex once and I hated it and then like women who were sitting with us would always be like oh you come on like how can you say that if you've only done it once he'd be like I, he's like I, I just know he's like I had sex once and I hated it so he wasn't a virgin which is funny that's almost the funniest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> I'm not laughing that hard because, I, I mean, I, the first time I heard that, I died. I couldn't shut up about it. I couldn't stop thinking about how funny that was. I've had many laughs over the last number of years because of that. But, you know, that's almost better. Like, that's almost a better alternative than just being like an incel or a, a uh, you know, like an eternal virgin. It's like being able to say once and I hated it. 
just very funny. And I just saw him in the crosswalk, though, and, like, I don't know, I thought, I didn't even realize it was, it was him, because I've kind of watched his deterioration over the last number of years, where he's, like, way, way more in a deep mental fog than he even was before. He looks really, like, bloated and depressed, because I know he used to drink Bud Lights. That was his thing, is he would chain-smoke cigarettes and drink Bud Lights. And then... Around the time, like shortly before I quit drinking, I would see him, and he, he had switched to just drinking whiskey, and he seems like it now. Like, he just looks like he's in a fog. And he grew a beard and stuff as well, but I just saw him. I didn't realize it was him. I don't, I've never seen him in this neighborhood. But, you know, he's already somebody that you have to shake out of a fog, but then on top of that, you don't do that mid-crosswalk at night. But I thought to myself, I was like, would he even remember me? Like, would he even recognize me? Because I was like, you know, like, we knew each other well enough. And then through, through the girl that he went to high school with, who's one of my good friends, I saw his yearbook stuff. Like, they, they went to this alternative, open-minded, you know, you know, just, it was like troubled kids. It was like kids who had gotten in a lot of trouble, kids who were homeschooled, things like that. Just kids who wouldn't fit in at a normal school. And because there weren't that many kids in the school, like in their little yearbook, instead of just having like rows and rows of photos with their names, like each kid made their own unique page with whatever text they wanted and whatever photos they wanted. And he had this amazing quote. I wish I could remember it. Because I brought it up to him later. I was like, oh, hey, I saw that yearbook from when you were a kid. And I was like, I love that quote. It's like something about like... It's almost like a legal quote. It's like... It's, it's, it's like something to do with... Uh, it's like using some sort of like legal term or legal terminology in this very clever way. And he got it from somewhere, I think. I don't think he came up with it. But I was like, that's a really good quote. You know, if, if you're a, a late 90s alternative high schooler who wears trench coats and has a ponytail and had sex once and hated it like <laughs> having some weird legal quote but uh i wish i could have talked to him but yeah like in the middle of a crosswalk him being in the fog he's in he doesn't really seem to be aware of anything and he goes by the name diggy i wish i remembered his name that's, that's the other crazy thing i mean he is like a character he really is like a character out of some like 90s independent movie. But it's not self-aware, like there's nothing stylish. Like when he says I'm a loser and kind of acts like a scumbag, it's like there's nothing aesthetic about it. There's nothing self-conscious about it. Like he's very self-aware in, in the sense that he knows what he is. But it's like he's not looking to do that to try to get points because I mean the number of people I've known through music and this and that, just the number of people in this town who, like, take on some sort of dirtbag persona and are like, well, I'm just a dirtbag. It's like, hey, you grew your hair long and you have a handlebar mustache and tattoos. You know, you're not a dirtbag. You can't, and that's, that's like something you can't bestow upon yourself either. You know, you can't, you can't brand yourself a dirtbag. Like, other people get to decide if you're a dirtbag. And when you're one of those guys who, who puts on this, like, 
you know, pseudo dirtbag persona. You become a dirtbag, but a different one than the one you think you are. But this guy, like, like Diggy, he was not going for anything. He really was just who he was. And I don't know where he got that name. I don't know who started calling him Diggy, but it was the perfect name for him. He looked like a Diggy. Just seeing this kid in the crosswalk. Seeing this guy. I think he's older than I am. But he is kind of like in like a perpetual teenager mode. Because like he never went through any of life's levels. And you know, it's been harder and harder for my generation, but he's someone who really never went through any of life's levels. Like he's never had a job, he's never had a girlfriend, lost his virginity, but says he hates sex. You know, he's lived with his mom his entire life. And there's nothing wrong with any of those things, but it's just like, he never even went through the motions of adulthood and all that. So he really is just the same teenager he always was, but that's why I liked him. Because he was kind of obsessed with everything from his uh, childhood like that that was because he would it's not like he was a super personal guy like he wasn't that outgoing or anything but you'd be drinking with him and he was the kind of guy you could tell who's just like totally obsessed with people he grew up around and, and you know people that he uh he knew in high school and things because that's me like that's the reason i talk about that stuff so much is because that's like my lore that's like the foundations, like your first interactions with other people where your parents aren't directly involved. It's kids on their own. It's like, it is this sort of, it's like Lord of the, Fri Lord of the Fries. It's like Lord of the Fries with constraints on it. But still, like kids end up doing that. They end up forming their own ideas and all that stuff. So, like, I always like hearing, like, I'm, I'm more interested in hearing what weird parts of childhood and, like, people they grew up with and, like, what happened at school and what happened when you were 12. Like, I'm more interested in hearing about that from people than I am that time you traveled to India and rode on a, an elephant. Like, that stuff to me seems, like, more artificial or superficial. Like, it shouldn't. Like, obviously, world travel's a big deal, and in my own experience, it's a big deal and has an impact on you. But it's kind of obvious. Like, we all know what that is. Like, we all know what it is to, like, go and experience other things and go on, go on adventures, and that stuff's interesting. But it's like, I'm always just, like, I'm more fascinated by, like, what weird little ticks. Like, your memory has these little ticks of, like, things that for whatever reason registered with you when you were growing up and you were trying to make sense of everything and there were these people around, you know, and all this. And you know, I just always found that way more interesting. And I realized like much later in life, like all these movies and TV shows that are about that, they were written by grown men. That was what they were doing. Like Stand By Me, The Wonder Years, all kind. I mean, the list is truly endless. But they always like kind of model those things after what I'm talking about here. Yeah, seeing Diggy, I'm just like, wow, man. I mean, he's somebody, like, I don't even think of about him actively. I, I would have no idea what he even thinks now. I mean, I imagine, he, he honestly just seems catatonic. He might even be. Like, passing him in the crosswalk, it's like, he can walk. 
but I was like, he looks catatonic. I don't want to try to shake a catatonic man out of his stupor in the middle of a crosswalk at night. But I got nothing but praise for the guy. That, that guy is a good character. You know, if you find people boring, like, you just haven't met the right people, because this guy, like, his story was just so interesting. He had sex once and hated it. Okay, this is a new recording. Done talking about Diggy. New recording. A little two-parter here. Ah, as I put away groceries. It's been a while since I did a good grocery unpacking episode. Not, not a lot of groceries to unpack here, though. But I was just thinking about how, you know, the novelty of rhyming things really depends on the language you speak. Like, we think of it as just great feat when we can rhyme something. And, and it is. Like, when you rhyme something cleverly, it's amazing. If it's not clever, it's the dumbest thing in the world. It's amazing how that works. It's amazing how, like, just basic rhymes when somebody thinks they're clever are just the dumbest thing you could ever hear. But when a, when a rhyme is very clever and makes you think, there's a spectrum of rhymes. The rhyme spectrum. It's the name of my rap group. Hey, I'm just really into, like, old-school hip-hop and uh, b-boy stuff and... Uh, we're called the rhyming spectrum. But, uh, you know, just thinking about how, like, yeah, like, rhyming is only novel if it's hard to do in your language. And it's very hard to do in language, or in the English language. Like, English makes it really difficult to rhyme. It's like we've not only taken tons of words from other languages, but, you know, so many of our words end differently. The suffix of our words are very different. Whereas, like, thinking about Italian, like, I was thinking, like, it's got to be so easy to be a, an Italian musician or an Italian rapper or anybody, an Italian poet. Everything ends in O's or A's. Like, you could just say utter nonsense in Italian and it would rhyme. Il capo bello di vetrosano di Anna whatever the fuck they say it's gibberish it's like all you have to do is like most of the words end in an o or an a it's got to be so easy to rhyme and are they impressed by it like does because it's so easy to rhyme do things take on like more nuance in a different way maybe if i if i if i studied Italian poetry or something, maybe I'd have a, a better opinion on this. It would actually be a worse opinion. Yeah, and I never really thought about that. I'm like, yeah, it's not that impressive if you rhyme in French or Spanish or Italian. If all the words end in the same vowel, you've got it really easy. And I know rhyming's not just the last vowel, but that makes it substantially easier. Way easier than if, like, the whole end of the word is different. Another thing I was, well, I mean, speaking of repetition and rhyming, like today I, I woke up and like I did it when I first woke up and then I did it tonight. I just wanted to play Def Leppard, pour some sugar on me over and over again. And the other night I was talking about how the kid who shot up Virginia Tech, Cho, Cho, how his roommate said he just listened to the same collective soul song over and over again, which as we you know, anybody with a brain knows 
is far more psychotic than like listening to dark, evil music. Yeah, if you just listen to the same collective soul song on repeat, that's a psycho. Def Leppard, though, like, like even though that makes me a, a cho, someone could be like, you just listen to the same Def Leppard song over and over again. There's something about Pour Some Sugar on Me where it's just like, that captures that feeling perfectly. That's what I thought partying as an adult would be like. Like, I didn't really know how adults partied. Like, my, my dad smoked a ton of weed privately. I didn't even know he smoked weed, but he had a, smoked a ton of weed. My mom didn't drink. My dad would just have a beer or two. So, like, I didn't have parents who ever, like, cut loose or partied much. My redneck friend had a couple uncles, though, who were big party guys who, like, peaked in the 80s. And we'd spend a lot of time at his uncle's place. He just drank. He'd go upstairs and take bong, bong rips, bong rips privately. His favorite band was Kiss. He had like a super long ponytail. And if I remember, it kind of bangs. Like his hair was, um, both of his uncles kind of had this hair. The one, the uncle that I knew the best, like he had, he had much longer hair, but it was kind of parted in the middle. And then he would kind of like pull it back into this ponytail. But it was, it was definitely a haircut you hadn't seen for a while. Like even in the nineties, that hair was a little bit, you know, past expiration. I mean, it was cool. Like, I don't think it was uncool, but people would think it was a really uncool haircut. Not a mullet or anything, but these kind of bangs and ponytail. And his other uncle was kind of like that too. He was a drug dealer, which I thought was so scary. Like, I remember my mom telling me like, oh yeah, you know, his uncle, the other one, like, you'll just be hanging out at their house and he goes and he meets some guy in the driveway to sell him something. I don't know what he was selling. He didn't seem like a stoner, but I have no idea. I think it was cocaine. I think I was actually told that he sold cocaine. He looked like he sold cocaine. But like the way those guys lived, like like what little I saw of them, it was just like blasting, not even classic rock, like hair metal. Like they were into that stuff. They were into like what you would call butt rock. I used to call it butt rock when I was growing up. And I always imagined that would be so fun, like being in that era where like you go to a party and they're blasting Def Leppard, pour some sugar on me. Like I've only ever experienced going to a party and they're blasting like thumping bass, electronic music, hip hop, something like that. Sure, I'd party with my own friends and on my own and stuff and listen to whatever I wanted, but just like going into a bar even. And that's what's playing and that's what's current. Because it's like, yeah, you can go to dive bars now where they're playing that stuff. But it's not the same as going there and like young people are listening to that. There was this old guy who lived in a van who used to hang out at the first bar I, I ever hung out at regularly. I was in my 20s, probably mid-20s, early 20s around there. He lived in his van and he would just spend all of his time in this bar. His name was Dan. And he, you know, he had a hair from another time too. Like he had that haircut where it's like, you wouldn't call it shaggy, but it's like a little bit long. And then it's, it's got that middle part with bangs, like the same haircut that like surfers had in the early eighties, that haircut that like, if you look at yearbooks from the late seventies or early eighties, every guy got that haircut, kind of a surfer do where it's like kind of parted in the middle, but not, not a hard part. And it's got these kind of bangs, a little bit shaggy. He had that kind of haircut. And a mustache, and he was probably in his 50s. His hair was turning gray. 
I think it was already pretty gray. And then he wore his like, like a collared shirt kind of unbuttoned and had a chain. But what made it really trashy is it was like a new style of chain. It wasn't a, like a classic gold chain. It was like the same sort of silver chain that wiggers wear. Because, you know, wiggerdom takes over everything. I mean, before I saw Diggy on my walk, I saw another guy. Like, I thought he, I thought Diggy was a homeless guy at first because he has that vibe. I doubt he is, but he has that vibe. And I'd seen another homeless guy with long hair and a beard right before I saw Diggy. And he looked like a classic homeless guy. He looked like a traditional homeless guy, this first guy I saw. And he was walking really crazily. Like, I knew he was out of his mind or on something. But, like, long, scraggly hair and a beard. And I was like, oh, it's a, it's a classic homeless guy. You don't see many of these. But as he approached, he was like swearing under his breath. And it was just pure wigger gibberish. Like even a guy like that with like long hair and a beard and like a baggy hoodie with holes in it. Who's walking crazily. He was like, yo, yo, if you have a, if you have a fuck with me. Oftentimes that's what they're muttering. It's all like, you better back the fuck away, motherfucker. They all have taken on... It's just the language of the street, like I've said. Like I first really thought about that. I was aware of it before, but I first thought of it that night. I did an episode about it, of course. There was like this middle-aged homeless lady screaming at somebody below a bridge. Like She was standing on top of a bridge near where I was, and she was screaming down at somebody. Like Once again, that anger, paranoia. And she was talking like a 20-year-old wigger, like using Ebonics, total, just like outright Ebonics. And I was like, oh, fuck, like even middle-aged homeless ladies talk like that now. And, and this guy I just saw before I saw Diggy, Diggy doesn't talk that way. Diggy does not talk that way, but the guy I saw before him does. Um, but yeah, this guy Dan uh, at, the, at the bar I hung out with many years ago, I mean, I didn't hang out with this guy, Dan. Like, I didn't know him. It's just that you'd hang out on the patio and people would be smoking and drinking. And, like, the regulars, like, the guys who were... Because, like, the regulars there were, like, some of the most fucked up ones I've ever seen. Like, that guy that I mentioned on here, Mumbly Joe, also hung out there. The guy who was, like, telling us he couldn't... He was illiterate. He couldn't read. I'll get back to Dan in a second. But Mumbly Joe, they called him. He was telling us how, like, he was illiterate. He literally literally couldn't read and how he had gotten signed up for some classes at a community college where they were going to teach him how to read and when he signed up he said they asked him for his email address and he goes i don't even know what my email address is how am i supposed to give you my email address when they haven't even told me what it is and at first I thought he, I didn't know what he was saying, like completely. And then like he kind of elaborated and it became clear that he thought that an email address was issued to you like a street address. Like not necessarily that it changed, but just like you could tell in his mind, it was like something that was assigned to you. Like not just through the college or whatever, but just in life. Like this guy had never used computers. He, I think he was somewhat homeless. He was definitely kind of transient. He was missing teeth. He was really fucked up. If I remember right, he would sleep at people. Like, he became friends. Like, there were some people who hung out at that bar who were, like, also fucked up, but they had houses and stuff. And I knew they would let some of those guys just stay there on and off. So I think that might have been his situation. 
But yeah, it was the funniest thing at the time, like the fact that he's like, how do I even know what my email address is? You haven't told me. They haven't even, they haven't even given me my email address. Like he really thought it was something like almost like a social security number or something. Because like, you know, you hear address your whole life. Like if you've been homeless and drunk out of your mind on the street for the last 30 years, how would you even know what anybody's talking about? You know, like how would you know like what, like we always think of an address being your physical address or your mailing address. So if you hadn't gotten introduced to the idea of like a website address or an email address, you wouldn't know what that even meant. You would think that it meant some kind of like literal address that's assigned to you. So Mumbly Joe, he hung out at this bar. He was one of the regulars. This other guy, Dan, though, yeah, like wore like, what got me sidetracked is he wore like a wigger chain. But he, you, you know he had a gold chain 40 years ago. It's just guys like that do kind of take on these, these this like modern stuff. Uh... But other than that, he was not modern. And like he used to talk, he's like, he's like, yeah, back in the 80s, we would uh, hang out at the Taiyi Motor Lodge. Like, uh, we had some parties, man. And I could it, just imagine these people partying at a motor lodge, like renting a room and just getting down. It's like, you know exactly what kind of music they were playing. Like, you know, you know what kind of drugs they were doing. This guy was in his prime. But, uh, yeah, I wonder if that guy's alive. Probably. That guy seemed resilient. But he lived in a van that he would keep parked downtown. Actually, you know, I, I don't know for a fact that he lived in it. I think he did because I would, it, would, it would always be parked down there. He pretty much kept it downtown. I just know that he would sleep in it. I think he lived in it. But what I know for sure is that he spent a lot of time sleeping in that van. He would just park it next to the bar and stay until close and then go in his van. There was one time, though, where I saw him following a girl outside the bar. He wasn't being... He, what he was doing was wrong. You could tell, though, he wasn't planning on, like, touching the girl or... He wasn't going to follow her all the way. But it was like he just kind of, like, trotted after this girl... And I didn't know who it was at first because like I was they were coming toward me down the sidewalk and I saw her first and she was pretty. She was young and pretty. And hot girls would go to that bar because it was like a scumbag bar. Like girls who wanted to like, like good girls who wanted to slum it to see what it's like on the other side. They would go to that bar. But this girl, she was very pretty and she was walking down the street and then like she, she seemed like she was like in a hurry and like bothered a little bit. And, and then like I hear a, somebody shouting behind her. And I hear, I got a van parked down the street, got some beer, some wine, and some weed. We can just hang out. Some beer, some wine, and some weed. So it's like he was trying to get her to come to his van, and he, he said he had beer, wine, and weed in his van. And she wasn't saying anything. And he gave up. Like, he stopped. Like, I, I didn't feel at all like he was going to do anything. Like, that's already bad enough, obviously. Like following a girl out of a bar and like chasing her down being like come to my van like it was so funny though it was like he was saying it like it was enticing like he was saying it as if it was like i got a summer cottage in the hamptons got some some high-end beer and some wine and some some weed but like he was literally telling this strange this stranger this girl who's way younger than him 
Like, and, and this guy, like, he's not going to be picking up any beautiful young women, you know, if you just saw him. I think his teeth were completely yellow. But, like, in his mind, like, offering, like, he's imagining, like, yeah, we're just going to hang out in my van and smoke weed and drink. Like, imagine that girl, like, taking a hit off a joint and realizing where the fuck she is. Yeah, he shouldn't have followed her down the street. It wasn't, it didn't, it didn't feel threatening. Like, I can, you know, I, I feel like I have a pretty good gauge on if somebody's behaving threateningly. Shouldn't have done it, though. And just the fact that it's like he's too drunk or just totally oblivious to the fact that telling a young girl from a bar that you have a van you can go hang out in. Yeah, let's go get really even more fucked up in my van together. I've seen this happen, though, where... Like, those guys are fucked up out of their mind, like, and in that sort of environment where, like, good girls go to slum it, like, they want to get a taste of uh, the other side of the tracks, they want to, like, talk to characters, because I never, I never approached those guys, they would just kind of make their rounds, they, they pretty much lived in that bar, so they would just kind of, like, if you were out on the patio, they would just occasionally, like, sit down next to you, and they would get people to buy them beer and stuff. I bought one guy a beer one time, but that was it. That was a different guy. He had been a vocalist in a in a thrash metal band, like a crossover thrash band in the 80s called uh, Death Squad, I think. I think he was the vocalist of Death Squad back in the day when he was young. And now he was homeless and people just let him sleep in their basement. But his big thing is like, he, he even though he had no money and he, you know, was pretty much homeless. He, every year he somehow saved enough money to buy a ticket to Burning Man. Like before Burning Man was what it is now, he would go there. And he, I think he'd only been a few times, but like he wouldn't shut up about it. Because I was kind of interested. He's, he's like, I, I participated in a pussy eating contest. He's like, I got there and they were having a pussy eating contest. And like, I, I just like ate out this Irish girl in front of everybody. He'd be like, man, you got to go, dude. Because he wouldn't shut up because he'd be like trying to convince you to go. Like, that sounds like hell. His name was Rob. Let me see if... I'm going to look up Death Squad for... I want to see if I got his name, if the band right. I want to make sure it was the singer of Death Squad. And I think they reformed or something. I mean, I don't, I don't think it's Death Squad. No, there was the drummer from Death Squad hung out there. No, he wasn't the vocalist of Death Squad. The drummer from Death Squad from back in the day hung out there and he was, he like, he like lived in a house. Like he wasn't homeless, but he was like this super fucking violent, ultra drunk, just this old burnout. That was the drummer from Death Squad. This guy, he was in another band that was a, a crossover thrash band. The guy, the pussy eating Burning Man guy, what a way to describe somebody. Yeah, he had been a band of some other Olympia, 80s Olympia thrash band. And there wasn't, there weren't many of those. And then, like, they kicked him out because he was too fucked up even for them. And they reformed as adults way later. Like, they, they did that as teenagers. And they reformed as adults as a brutal death metal band, which is weird. Like, they just became these dads and blue-collar guys who started a brutal death metal band. Um, but anyway... I don't, I don't think I have anything more to say on those guys. Maybe, I, oh, the good girl's like slumming it there. Like, like what would happen there sometimes I notice is like they would enjoy talking to the characters. Like if those guys came up to you, like you'd just talk to them for a little while, but like you wouldn't seek them out. 
because it, it seemed like a novelty at first. Like, oh, I'm talking to this like really rough dude who's out of his mind, but he's got interesting things to say. But you would never want to seek it out. Like, you would never want to be too friendly. Because, like I said, they were always trying to get you to buy him beers and stuff. And, like, sometimes you would, but you don't, they get used to that. Like, there were people that were, like, more friendly with them, and they would always be asking for beer. But girls would sometimes, like, seek them out and be like, oh, it's the it's the weird homeless character. Like, let's listen to his story. He's a human, too. And that's all good and well. But those guys, like, just getting any attention. It, it's like what they say about guys in prison where, like, they talk about how, like, all a guy in prison has to do is, like, see the ugliest female prison guard and he's aroused and does insane, insane shit. Like, that's what it's like with those guys. Like... If one of these like pretty girls who wants to hang out at the dive bar talks to them, yeah, it's nice they're talking to him. It's, it's nice they're not treating him like a pariah, but that guy has no filter. You're basically talking to a wild beast. And I, I, I'm guessing that's what happened with Dan chasing that girl down, trying to get her to come to his van. I'm guessing like she treated him like a human being in the bar and he was like, I can get, she, she likes me. There was another guy like that at a different bar that I hung out. The same bar Diggy hung out at, different bar. There was a guy, he was a middle-aged guy, definitely kind of on and off homeless. And his whole thing was he would, his name was Joe too. He wasn't Mumbly Joe. I started calling him uh, Handshaken Joe because his whole shtick was like he'd come into the bar really late at night. He wasn't always there, but he would always show up. And he would come into the bar really late at night and go out on the patio and he'd go up to every single person there and shake their hand. And he was really nice. Like he was really genuinely nice, but like you didn't really want to touch this guy's grubby hands. Like he was grubby. And you could tell there was nothing perverse about it. It was just like he obviously lost his mind. And I think I found out that like he had had it together at some point and he just lost it. You know, I think he had a, he had had a, yeah, he had a daughter, he had kids and stuff. Cause he talked to me one time I talked to him and he told me about his daughter, but he kind of, you know, he would kind of accost you. Like you'd be talking to people, minding your own business. And then like literally like this big grubby hand, like you turn your head and this big grubby hand would be like an inch away from your cheek. And I would always turn him down and he would, he would act really sad, but it's like, man, I don't know you. Like, I don't want to touch your hand. Like, I don't want to touch anybody's hand at a bar anyway. Guys are going to the bathroom every second, like, pissing on their own hand. I don't want to touch anybody's hand there, let alone yours. But there was one time where, like, my buddy Nick and I were down there. We had our own little table, and we saw this group of really young guys. Just, like, skinny, goofy, like indie rock dudes with shaggy hair really young you could tell they were like 21 and all of a sudden i see handshake and joe like beeline for their table and he just like really abruptly sits down and starts talking to them for a while and we were just kind of watching him and like he, he wouldn't shut up and it seemed like he was bothering these kids and they seemed kind of awkward and so i was wasted and i go let's go over there and so we just got up and we just sat down and we're like, what's going on here? We were being the assholes, it turned out. But uh, 
handshake and Joe, he got really scared of me. Like he saw some, he saw an evil glint in my eye or something. Cause he got really scared. And I think just cause I sat down and started interrogating them, but like it came out like these kids were like, Oh, we know Joe. Yeah. He, you know, we know Joe and like, we live in a house kind of near downtown and like we've invited Joe to some of our parties and uh, the thing is, though, like, he doesn't know when to leave. Like, we've had to actually kick him out. Like, we've let Joe stay with us. Like, we've let him sleep on our couch before. But uh, we invited him, we've invited him to parties. And like, he's like, we have to kick him out because, you know, he sometimes, like, oversteps his bounds, you know. And I was like, that's, that's kind of the same thing. It's, it's like, it's a nice thing to do. But it's like, what do you expect inviting a homeless guy to your party? You're a bunch of, like people in your early 20s you're very meek like these kids were very meek and it's like of course if you invite the homeless guy to your party it's going to be a problem not because you should treat him like inhuman filth just because that's going to be a problem but yeah handshake and joey was really scared of me like not not angry or anything but I, he just had his eyes got really big when i started talking to him and then he mentioned his daughter and I was like, oh, you have a daughter. And like, we ended up having a really nice conversation and all of a sudden he like loosened up. He was no longer scared of me. And then he like put out his hand and I did shake at that time. I think, I think that was the one time I shook handshake and Joe's hand. The time I shook handshake and Joe's hand, country song. Let me tell you about the time that I, I shook handshake and Joe's hand. There was one time where I shook Handshake and Joe's hand. A lot of songs lately. But uh, Handshake and Joe, I think I did shake his hand when he, he was telling me, like, he was just basically talking about, like, how, how much he loved his daughter or something, like something normal like that. But I was just like, you know, good for you. He's a nice guy. I thought he was more of a troublemaker than he was. You know, even though he had problems, you don't want to invite him to your party. I think I thought he was more threatening than he was. Cause I mean, the whole handshaking thing was just too much. He would do it all the time. Like anytime he came in there, he would go out, out back and just shake everybody's hand. It was kind of aggressive. And then when I saw him just like sit down with these kids and just start talking their ear off, I was like, what's going on? But I, I think he was, he was a more benevolent creature than I realized. That kind of thing happens. I mean, like a friend of mine, let a couple homeless kids stay in his house, like the, like homeless young people in their 20s. Really open-hearted, nice guy, like would let them crash on his couch. And then they stole stuff though, you know, which what you expect. And like he acted like it didn't bother him, but it's like that doesn't bother you at all. Like there was a guy, he let him sleep on his couch and like the guy stole his change jar. You know, steal cigarettes or whatever. It's like, kind of like the tax of allowing that to happen. Like... This guy doesn't know you. He's in pure survival mode. He probably has an addiction or a, a mental problem. You're lucky that's all he did, I guess. But I don't know. Young kids of that mindset kind of, they think you can engage with people like that. And it's not that you shouldn't talk to them or be human. It's just, I think they expect something different. Like my joke, like what's funny is like those guys inviting Handshake and Joe to their parties and having to kick him out. When I was in high school, one of the only like normal parties I went to, like my friends and I would party, but like one of the only parties I went to were like all the kids in school were there. 
it was a homeless theme party. And they should be happy they don't they didn't have social meteors then. Because I'm sure that would haunt some people who were at that party. But they dressed up like homeless people. It was a homeless people party. Like the theme was to dress like a homeless person. And my joke at the time, like we were we were smoking weed out of a zong. I've heard of a bong. This was called a zong. These kids had one. And it was just all it was was a bong that's kind of shaped like a Z. And those kids, like, I smoked so much weed and like I wanted a pipe that worked, like I wanted a bong and all that. But like people are always coming up with these different devices, like, oh no, it's different when you smoke out of a zong, because like the air, like the, the smoke gets trapped here, and then maybe that's true, but it was just it was always funny how like kids came up with these elaborate ex explanations for like novelty weed smoking devices. This is a zong, it's different. We were smoking out of a zong on the back deck, and I was just like, you know, it'd be so funny if we brought a real homeless guy here. All of these middle to middle upper class kids are like having this. I mean, I like the irreverence. Trust me, I was not offended. But I, a part of me just was like, they're all having a good time drinking in this house in a nice neighborhood, role playing as hobos. It'd be funny if like we went and got some like just out of his mind homeless guy from downtown and be like, oh, it's a homeless party? Well, here's a real guy. And just watching him like break bottles and punch people and just foam at the mouth. But I don't know, there's a tendency to kind of do that. Like I think sometimes people, they give people the benefit of the doubt that's good, but it's like, I think they do it because it's like a virtuous thing to do. Like, oh, hey, Handshake and Joe likes to drink and, you know, he doesn't have a place to stay. Like, let's invite him to our, you know, our little 20-something party. And it's like, of course that guy's going to get out of line. Of course you're going to have to, like, force him to leave. What do you expect? It's the scorpion and the frog. And that's always a big dilemma. I mean, it's it's that's not a reason to not be kind to people. You know, it's not a it's not a reason to mistreat people or to not do what you can to help people. But I mean, it's the same thing I've said about like giving someone money. Like when you give a homeless person a five dollar bill and they turn around and go in the liquor store. At the, at, the, at, at, the, at the point that you give them money, it's no longer your money. The enlightenment is in the exchange. It's not in what they do with it. And uh, most of the time, though, it's like, I don't know. I don't, I, I'm not some, I'm not Mommy Teresa. Like, I haven't given out a lot of money to homeless people in my life, but I've done it now and again. The only time that I actually ever felt guilt about it, though, was I was walking downtown and I was waiting at a crosswalk and like this young woman kind of like touched me, like kind of like, you know, po like not poked me, but like just got my attention. And then like very quietly said, hey, I just became homeless and like, I don't even know what I'm doing. Like you don't have that any money, do you? And it was, it was so genuine and sincere and she was so, uh, you could tell she was so ashamed because like a lot of people who ask you for money, like the shame is gone. Like maybe they feel some kind of shame inside, but like they're sitting there with a sign or when you pass by, they ask you just loudly. She got my attention very, very quietly at a crosswalk and just like very politely and, you know, just normally, just like, a, like as if you were a normal person asking you for a favor that you might not want everybody to know. 
And, you know, I think all I had was like a $20 bill on me or something. And I, I, you know, I didn't want to or couldn't just give somebody a $20 bill. And it caught me, you know, we were at a crosswalk and it, you know, whatever the excuse is, like it turned green. So we walked and it was just kind of an awkward moment where I wasn't ready for that. And then I, it, to this day, though, it's like the only time I've ever thought, man, like I really wish I would have given her that money. Because it was just the sincerity and the humility. Like she seemed so humbled by life. Like there was no story. Like you could tell that like something happened and she became homeless very quickly. And it was just very sad. Like she wasn't super young either. She wasn't like early 20s. It's like she was like in her late 20s or early 30s or something. She was like my age. And you could just tell that it, it took a lot to ask that. But yeah, just talking about homeless people, just sitting here on a Tuesday night talking about homeless people. Handshaking Joe, Mumbly Joe, Rob, the former thrash metal vocalist, Dan, who used to party in the, the Tyee Motor Lodge in Tumwater, Washington. You know, when those people kind of have a place to go that's not the street, it's interesting too. Because like those guys were all kind of like grandfathered into those bars. Like they didn't cause serious issues. If they if somebody caused serious issues, you know, they weren't welcome. But in general, those guys they didn't cause serious issues. They were just fucked up. There was one guy I met though. I'm trying to think if I remember his name. I met him once. But my friend Jason, who I worked with, we were we would go for drinks. And we were we were sitting in this bar midday, early early evening maybe and all of a sudden this guy just this old guy just like shoots through the entrance to the bar and we were sitting in these like big easy chairs it was one of those bars that has like it's like a couple of these big easy chairs in the back just sitting there talking and this guy just like shoots in in a hurry and he has a backpack as they all do an old guy with a backpack bald bald on the bald like balding balding like balding on the top but totally gray, probably 70, beard, very, very skinny. And I immediately thought, oh, shit, Dennis Hopper. Like, seeing him from, like, 20 feet away, I was like, this guy looks exactly like a Dennis Hopper character. Everything about him, even, you know, and he kind of, like, shoo he was trying to shoo away the bouncer. And, the, like, both the bouncer and the bartender, like, immediately zeroed in on him which told me he'd already been kicked out before. Like, they would never do that with just a random dude. Like, there were all kinds of ruffians coming in and out of this bar. They clearly knew who this guy was and didn't want him there. But, like, he managed to get ahead of them, and he just, like, jumped into a seat right next to us, like, with us. And when they saw that he sat down with us, they the bartender and bouncer, like, turned around and were like, I guess if he, like, I think he, they thought that he knew us. And when they saw that he just sat down with us, they were like, oh, I guess that's okay. And he starts talking to us and he's, as I'm looking at him though, I'm like, oh shit, like he does look like Dennis Hopper, but what do you, what he actually looks like? He looked like if Clint Eastwood was doing a Dennis Hopper impression. Like I'm trying to think of a Dennis Hop Hopper character where he has, where his hair is a little grown out and he has a beard. I know, I know I've seen that. I know I've seen Dennis Hopper with a beard, but like he looked like Dennis Hopper meets Clint Eastwood, which is a crazy look. 
but we all know that. Like, if you say that, you know what this guy looked like. He was in a big yellow rain jacket. And he started talking to us, and he was like, this is the first time I've been downtown in seven years. He's like, I live way out. You know, there's all these little small rural areas around here. He's like, I live out in this rural area with my mom. And he's like, and I grow weed there. And his mom must have been 90. This guy was old himself. He was like 70 years old. And he's like, he's like, I used to, and he's like, I used to be a heroin addict and spent a lot of time down here. He's like, but I haven't been downtown in seven years. I was like, seven. Like, we're just seeing you now. Like, I'm guessing it's bullshit. I'm guessing like he, he did take a big break. Maybe it was seven years, but like clearly the bartender and bouncer knew who he was. So it's like, we're not seeing him for the first time in seven years. But anyway, he was obviously out of his mind. What was his fucking name? He had a good name. I was going to say Steve, but I don't think that was it. And he, uh, as he was talking to us, Jason looks at him and goes, you know who you look like? And he goes, Dennis Hopper. So he obviously picked up on the Dennis Hopper thing too. And I was like, I was going to say that. I was like, I said, like, I was going to say that, but I'm, I'm seeing Clint Eastwood. And he, the guy didn't even say anything. Like he was like, ah, like he, he was conversational. Like for as isolated from society as he was and out of his mind, he was conversational. Like he could have a conversation with you. He was just way out there. And he, he drank with us for a little bit. And then we were going to another bar. And so he came with us. And that's when we realized it was a problem. That's when it was like, we can't, we started to realize like this guy's out of his mind. Like we can't have this guy bar hopping with us. And so like we found like we found like these two chairs like hidden behind a pool table and we just kind of camped out there. I, I think actually at the other bar, I think what it was, no, it, what happened was like at the other bar, we realized that we couldn't hang out with this guy all night. And so he went to the bathroom and we left. We pulled the old uh, sneak move. And uh, then we like went to another bar, but he, he managed to find us there. And so we found like these secret seats that where you couldn't see somebody if they were sitting down there, you were like hidden behind other people and pool tables. And then like, we saw him looking for us. He was very like looking all around. Like we could tell he was looking for us and then he gave up and left. But it's like, that's the problem with those guys. You can have a good conversation. Like he had interesting stuff to say. This guy who's lived out in the middle of nowhere with his ancient mom and just smokes weed and kicked a heroin habit. And just goes down to bars once every seven years. Because we were joking with him. We're like, well, well, we're honored. We're honored that we got to talk to you the, the one time you've been downtown in seven years. Maybe we'll see you seven years from now. now I'm just going down the list of guys like that. Because there were a number of those guys. There was a restaurant. It was a diner downtown that's really hip and popular. But in the back of the diner, there's like this secret little bar that's all dark. It's very cool. And there was a guy who was a fixture there. And I uh, wasn't homeless, I don't think, but just crazy. And there, there was one night, like I was with that guy, Jason, this time too. Like we managed to always find these guys. And this guy though, he was like, look at this light. He's like, I went to a, I went to a salvage yard today. And he's like, and just look at this light switch I found. And he's, at the, he's sitting at the bar and he just pulls out of, his, out of like a bag or a pocket or something, 
this industrial light switch, like the same kind of light switch you would have seen in your high school gym. Like it just got a very utilitarian metal case to it. You just like screw it into a wall. It's no frills. It's just an industrial light switch. And he, and he started like discussing this light switch in depth and he's just like, just like look at it. And I was like, can I see the light switch? And I just, I looked at it. And he was just really fixated on the, the aesthetics of this light switch. But he wasn't an artsy guy, I don't think. I don't know why he was at a salvage yard. Definitely a, a screw was loose. But I used to see that guy. And every time I would see him, I'd be like, ah, the light. I would say, oh, you know, how's that light switch doing? And like he'd get this glimmer in his eye and go, oh, the light switch. Like he knew exactly what I was talking about. And he w we wouldn't talk about it. I would never sit and talk with this guy. I would be buying a drink and he'd be at the bar and I'd be like, hey, I remember that time we talked about the light switch and he'd go, oh, the light switch. Like you could tell it genuinely made him excited to hear somebody make a reference to it. And that's just like something like, that sounds like a made up crazy guy. Oh, he, ca he carries a light switch, an industrial light switch around and just talks about it. There are real people like that. Like those caricatures you see in shows and movies, they're real. They're real. A Dennis Hopper guy, though, that guy was, he was kind of a Ted Kaczynski type. Like, there was something a little more malicious about him. Like, it wouldn't surprise me. Not that the guy was a, he wasn't a serial killer type, but it's like, he seemed like a dangerous guy. Like, when that guy was on heroin hanging out downtown, yeah, he seemed like a dangerous guy. But the thing is, like I said, like, you don't seek those people out. You don't go like, oh, today we're going to go on an adventure where we like talk for a long time with the homeless guy in the bar and buy him drinks all night. Just that guy will inevitably find you at some point. Like, cause the thing is about those guys, everybody else would get annoyed with them and like the, their friends. Cause they, they became like the, the sort of guys that they, who would let them like sleep on their couch and stuff. Those guys would also give them the most shit. Like you'd be sitting there and they'd be like, just get the fuck out of here, man. Like those guys would give them the most shit. Cause like, since they had given those guys the most, they were also the most honest with them. They'd be like, go get out of here, man. But like, yeah, you never seek those people out. Like you never, you come from the point of view of like, this person's going to have some interesting things to say. I'm going to be nice to this person, but it's like, you got to keep a big boundary with those guys. And uh, <laughs> I think some people like it, to them, it's just an adventure like, oh, we're going down to the dive bar and we're going to talk to characters. We're going to do some people watching. Oh, let's talk to the, let's get drunk and talk to the crazy guy. Let's get drunk and talk to the crazy guy. It's like, no, he's actually crazy. He's going to make you uncomfortable. You're not going to be able to get rid of him. If you invite that guy into your house, like you're literally going to have to tell him you're going to have to tell a guy, like, I'm going to call the cops if you don't leave. And he's going to, like, curse under his breath. And then he's going to be really nice to you the next time you see him. But that's kind of what it is. Because, you know, we, we've started thinking about characters that way, where it's like, oh, I can just talk to anybody I want, and it's all well and good. And, yeah, that's a good attitude to have. It's good to be open to people and not judge people. But at the same time, like, you're, you're dealing with an actual insane person. And you can just tell from the way people look and everything. Like, I mean, you can tell, you can tell if one of those guys is going to be like that just from 
his face, it's physiognomy. The New York Times or one of those just published an article where it's like science proves something we already know yet again. Where they're like, they've determined that people who's, who look similar act the same way. They actually said this. Some sort of study shows that like guys who look similar, it turns out act similar. I don't know how they measured this, but it's like, oh, the thing that I've known my entire life, the reason why it makes it really hard, like if I don't like somebody, it makes me really hard to like anybody that looks like them. Like I've talked about that with uh, that football player, Travis Kelce, Travis Kelsey. He's the really good tight end on the Kansas City Chiefs. I don't like that guy because he looks like this coworker I had. He looks a lot. He's like a more handsome, athletic version of this coworker I had who I fucking hated. He looks exactly like him, though. And now I, I just I can't even give Travis Kelsey a chance because I'm just like, he has that face. But science proves me right yet again. Just like that scientific study a couple years ago, we've determined that crows experience self-reflection and thought. It's like, yeah, that's why Native Americans won't shut up about ravens and crows. That's why every pagan culture was really focused on corvids. That's why Odin had ravens. Oh, science shows that crows are actually self-aware. Yeah, that's why they've been used the way they've been used for thousands of years in mythology and stories, folklore. Glad you spent millions of dollars to figure that out. Same thing with this physiognomy thing. Guys who look a certain way act a certain way. People who look a certain way, who look similar, act similarly. I'm glad you spent millions of dollars figuring that out, something that we all intuitively know. I mean, you should fight it. You shouldn't prejudge people. But there's a reason you do that. There's a reason why some faces, some people, you go, oh, no. But people have to relearn all this stuff. You got to relearn it. You got to relearn that. Turns out you can judge people by their cover. That's a big one, though. I mean, because you, you experience it. You're like, there's certain people I meet, and I don't even, I don't dislike them right off the bat. But I just go, I, I don't think I need anything to do with that person. I don't think I need anything to do with that person. Just from the way they look. I mean, you meet, you meet, you know, the opposite sex and you're like, I couldn't love somebody who looks like this. I don't hate them, but it's like, I, I couldn't love somebody who looks like this. Same thing for, for friends and acquaintances. Like, yeah, I don't think I can get along with someone who looks like this. People who look like that act like this. Miles and I have been talking about this as long as we've been friends. I, I feel like at least like, you know, three out of every four times we talk, this comes up in some way. We'll be talking about someone one of us met, some public figure, and I'll be like, oh yeah, you know, people with that face. I knew Miles was going to be one of my good friends when I met him because like, I think we immediately talked about this back in like 2004 or whenever it was. I think we immediately talked about how when someone looks a certain way, you can determine certain parts of their personality and their interests. Like I still remember telling Miles about this kid from school. Like I grew up with this guy in school who everybody called Sharky. His nickname was Sharky. <laughs> and the reason was, was because like when he was a little kid, he was obsessed with sharks. 
I was telling Miles that randomly one day. I was just like, you know, uh, there was this kid they called Sharky because he was really into sharks. And he goes, did he look like a shark? And I said, yeah, actually. He 100% did. He had a very pointy face. He really did look like his face looked like one of those little sharks you see swimming at the zoo. And Miles is like, well, there you go. He knew he looked like a shark, and so he gravitated towards sharks. So it's like you can determine someone's personality and interest from the way they look. Like, you know how they're always, they're, they're always trying to do that from the inside out? They're like, we determined that, like, this mutation of the DNA results in this behavior. Like, we're always trying to look at the smallest possible component like, oh, if, if, you, if you examine someone's DNA, you can determine, like, what sort of job they're going to have. You can just figure that out by looking at them. It's like as above, so below. It's like, you know, science, this, this like, reductionist mindset. It's like looking at the smallest component thing that has all the answers. When it's like, look at the person's face. Look at their posture. Like, you can tell if someone's gay just by their posture. Like something I've noticed about gay guys is like, for some reason, like they all, they're like lower back. They have this weird, like lower back posture. And I don't think it's related to anything dirty. You could make all kinds of jokes, but they walk with kind of like their lower back, like pushed in and their arms really close to their sides. Like not, I'm not even talking about an effeminate walk. Like there's these two guys who live in my neighborhood and I'd seen them both walking by themselves. And I was like, oh, that guy's gay. One of them was an Asian guy and the other guy, just like a middle-aged white dude with a beard. But I just saw them and I was just like, oh, gay. Oh, guys are gay. Okay, the guy's a gay. The guy's a gay. And then I, I saw them walking together. Like I didn't even know that they were connected. And then I saw them walking together one time and I was like, oh, they're really gay. And it was all just because of their, their posture and their body language. I was just like, oh, yeah, that's how gay guys walk. I saw a couple other guys walking together. Like, they had that weird bald guy couple thing. Like, there's something weird that I've noticed with gay guys. Something weird I've noticed with gay guys. Gay guys. Something nice that weird with gay guys. Gay guys. Where, like, there'll be these, these, like, gay guy couples. And they're both bald with, like, cue ball heads. Like, totally shaved down to the skin, bald. And they dress alike. Like, they wear different colors. Like, they're like twins. There's these, like, gay twin couples. And, like, they wear exactly the same clothes in a different color like you'd see in twins. I saw two guys like that a few weeks ago. I was driving, and they were walking in the crosswalk in front of me. And I could just tell from, like, from the, the whole of the presentation. It wasn't like, it wasn't like they had anything overt that made them obviously gay. Like, there was no rainbows. There was no piercings in their right ear there was no pink handkerchief in their back pocket i could just tell though like they weren't holding hands they weren't doing anything overt but just like from the way they looked i was just like from the, the way they walked there's something with the po with the back posture i don't know what that is there's probably something even with their faces i don't know you could probably tell if someone's gay from their face But yeah, I think that's a lot of, you know, that, that's one of those things that we've, we've always known, but we kind of like forget and ignore. And, I, and I've always felt, uh, 
I've always felt justified in feeling that way. I've always felt justified in feeling that way. Where like I, I feel like I've never been proven substantially wrong. Like you'd say like you judge people by the way they look, but it's not it's not like superficial like judging someone because they're attractive or something. It's judging someone because of specific facial features. It's judging somebody just for for something. And I feel like I haven't really been proven wrong with that. I feel like overall, like, I've been right more often than I haven't been. I try to give people a chance, but there's something about people's faces. So, like, this article coming out, it's like, science proves that you can judge a, person's, a person by their face. You can judge a person by how they look. Because that corresponds to behavior. I mean, I can tell sometimes what someone's politics are from how they look. I bet by looking at someone's head, their face and their head, I could tell you if they're liberal or conservative or which way they lean. Because I see people all the time and I'm like, oh, that guy's a liberal. Oh, that guy's, that guy's into super progressive shit. Same thing for conservatives, same thing for any of you, really. It's like you can just tell what people are into from how they look. So we're all doing that all the time, but like science proves that, oh, we were right all along. Glad we spent that million dollars to figure that out. I'd love to see the faces of the people who did that study. I'd like to see the faces of the people who published that. And I bet I know what they'd look like. This land is mine God gave this land to me This brave, this golden land to me And when the morning sun Reveals her hills and plains I see a land where children can